Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I get to say y'all because three things. One, I just got back from a trip to Texas. Two, I just signed up for the Rattlesnake Gravel Grind again, which is where we met Emily Newsom, today's guest, who is a Texas resident. So it's all Texas today, y'all, with Emily Newsom. I am bringing you today's intro from the bike. Why is that? Well, because it is a special day. I decided in January that I would like to set out a goal of number of miles. I like things like that. Last year's goal was to average 10,000 steps a day, which I did, but golly, you gotta be intentional about that. I mean, not that you don't this, but this is on a bike, so I dig that. Anyway, I decided last year I would not focus on steps this year, but I would focus on miles. I rode like 4,300 miles last year, which I think is nice, it's a good amount. It's again, intentional, but it's not super intentional. And I thought, hey, why not do 100 miles a week all year long, 5,200 miles, for the year. So I charged off to that end. And today, in early October, I am hitting 5,200. So I thought I would take you on today's ride. I am mountain biking. Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous out. It's like 78, 80 degrees, dry. I hope you can hear the leaves. I love mountain biking in the fall, for sure. I love it. Anyway, taking you along. I'm about a mile away from hitting 5,200. So welcome to my year. I know that's not a ton, ton, ton for everyone. Nonetheless, it was my goal and here I am. So today's guest, Emily Newsom, Texas resident and rock star. She's done everything. She's roadie done the freaking biggest races in the world on the road women's modern women's tour de france the freaking spring classics world champs stage races all over the world holy moly like i mean world tour stuff right yeah my brakes squeak and she now while still racing on the road this year uh, and last, she is diving big time into the gravel scene. She's fallen in love with gravel, which is why we, how we met her at the Rattlesnake Gravel Grind. And uh, she's doing the Lifetime Grand Prix this year. I'm gonna shut up and let's get into my conversation with Emily Newsom while I hunt down my 5,200th mile. Emily Newsom, what a treat to have you on Bike Talk with Dave. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, it has been a, I don't know, six months maybe since we met in March at the Rattlesnake Gravel Grind, which we're going to talk about a little bit, but uh, it's a treat to see you again. Yes, thank you. Likewise. Yeah, that was an awesome occasion for sure. That was an awesome 
albite windy occasion. True. <laughs> very windy. <laughs> it was very windy. Tailwind going out, which was awesome. Yeah, and a slog coming back for sure. Oh, it was a slog. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a I, hard trip home. Yeah, I was with a very, um, very nice guy who had a great draft. And so I pretty much dug myself into the biggest hole just to stay on his wheel because I was like, you're not going anywhere because this is great. Uh, we were on a tandem and gosh, we had a line by the time we ended up coming off that ridge oh, of really? people just like jumping on our wheel, never <laughs> let go of the wheel of a tandem and people did not. Wow. And Kyle, it was just marching into that wind, but it was a great race. Super fun weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it in a little bit, uh, because registration's opening October 1st for it. So, uh, we want to get ready for that. Yeah. But uh, Anyway, you, holy moly, you have been through a lot. You've been through a lifetime of experiences since March until now. And I want to kind of talk about your summer and how you got back, how you, how you fought back um, through adversity, I would say. Um, but before we do, gosh, I mean, you've... You're an all-star. Like you are a cycling all-star. You've raced in the biggest races in the world and I don't know, just such great experiences. When did you first start riding and why? Well, thank you for your compliment. I appreciate that. Um, I first started riding, gosh, I got serious about it right before I had my daughter. So... 2014 was when I was like, all right, you know, I'm done running because I had run for a couple of years, but just kept incurring injuries. So 2014, uh, I think it was like May, maybe I was like, okay, I'm all in. I'm going to see what I can do on the bike. Um, So I started training hard, but that's also when I got pregnant. So really, I think I was really able to really start training 2016. Because once, once I had her, I, of course, I started racing three months later, but it just takes quite some time to be able to um, get into a routine, especially since I was the main provider as far as food and care, because she was definitely a mommy's girl. Um, so yeah, it took a while. So I'd say really like fall of 2016, I really put in some solid work. So you had a, I mean... Uh- I don't know. I try to be gentle in in this, but you're not 22 right now. No, I'm um, not. How'd you guess? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you must have run for a long time. And I'm just curious, like, was it 100% because you're like, okay, I've had too many injuries running and I got to find some other way to um, feed this competitive fire in me? And so you found the bike or had you always ridden a bike? Um, Actually, I only ran for a couple of years. Um, Seriously, I ran like, you know, maybe five miles a week when I was in college, but nothing serious because I was very focused on music. And so any sort of exercise I did was purely for exercise and that's it. Um, And then I started running um, 
after I graduated with my master's, I really got serious with running for a couple of years. And I think, yeah, the bike really was just because I wanted to feed that competitive edge. And I always loved sports growing up. I grew up one of 10, actually. And so, yeah, we, you know, we were what they call, um, oh gosh, free range children. We were that, (laughs) only we didn't know it. But my dad and my mom were really big on letting us just explore and be super adventurous. So uh, I got to do a lot of adventuring as a child, but we weren't really involved in a lot of sports because we were homeschooled. And so I always had this desire to be in a sport and I was always like kind of jealous of people who got to do it. But I just figured, you know, since I'm a musician now, like that time has passed and it's not going to happen. So then when I found running, it was so exciting to one, find it and two, be good at it. Um, And then when I kept getting injured, you know, my husband was the one who kind of steered me towards the bike and we discovered that actually... I'm naturally better at that than I was at running. And so that just kind of opened the floodgate for me and I got hooked. I loved, initially it was, you know, mainly because I just loved to compete and I really liked to win and I was winning, you know, and I was seeing progress, which again, you know, being a musician for so many years, we're really geared towards seeing progress, you know, finishing this piece, preparing a recital, et cetera. So then the bike gave that to me, but I also really enjoyed it. So it just became a springboard really for me to then get onto a team and start learning all the other awesome stuff about cycling, like the community and the places you get to go, um, the equipment, of course. Uh, So yeah, it just really opened a whole other world for me. When did you kind of know you were decent? Um, I think probably because of my husband. So I had this little old Bianchi that had like the down tube shifters and that's what I would commute on. And I went riding with him and he was like, you know, you're actually like really strong for not riding. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I had this TT bike that I borrowed from a friend and I just rode that. I didn't have a road bike other than that little Bianchi, which I had, it wasn't mine. So I had to give it back. But I did have this time trial bike, a Cervelo that I rode. And I just learned on that until finally we were like, okay, you need a road bike. So I found one on Craigslist. I think it cost me $800. Um, I had no idea how to shift it. I got on and I was like, like, where are the down tube shifters? And, you know, on the time trial bike, it's different too. I was like, what do I do? And the guy was so sweet. He was just like, oh, you just, you know, you just turn the uh, shifters like this. And uh, so, yeah, that was my first bike. It was a Morgul Bismarck uh, aluminum. And I won a lot of races on it. So you don't need top-end equipment to get going. You can you can start on an $800 Craigslist bike. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you started on the road then, right? Yeah, I did some triathlon first, but um, ended up deciding I'd like to focus on just one thing. And so, yeah, I went to the road. Very cool. Um, gosh, you've done everything. Uh, the classics... Uh, stage races, stage races here in the States, stage races over in Europe. And you got to participate in the first again Tour de France Femme. They helped make that possible. And uh, I don't know, was that any different than some of the other stage races? Did it feel different? Was it different? 
uh, it was definitely different, 100%. And we, none of us knew what to expect, right? Because like you said, it was the first, again, t- uh, Tour de France Femme. And what are the crowds going to be like? You know, what's the coverage going to be like? You know, what are the courses going to be like? How are people going to race? We had really no idea. So, um, you know, for me, the experience was a mixture of things. It was definitely overwhelming. Um, like the media that we had, uh, we had it starting a couple of days before, not just race media, but also team media, different sponsors wanting media on us and, sp- and specific riders. Um, so it was a lot to take in and a lot to absorb. Uh, and then the racing itself was just full gas every day from the gun. And again, we didn't know like, what is this going to be like? I didn't, I, I, none of us really thought it was going to be similar to the men's in that because the men have three weeks, there's time for these subplots, so to say, to unravel, right? And there's time for, you know, on stage 10, a breakaway goes and they let them go because they're not contesting the GC. And so you get these moments for these different riders who are not GC riders to shine. But for us, with eight stages, every stage was super important and everybody wanted a win. And so there was no way brakes were going to stay up the road. Or, I mean, a few got away, but it was pretty rare. So because of that, it was just all out. And my job was to get in brakes, you know, and to give the team some media coverage, which I love doing that. And I had a blast doing it. But it also meant by the time I hit stage six, I was just completely flattened and had pretty much nothing left at all. So at the time, you know, it was really hard because even though, you know, I knew, okay, this is why I'm feeling like this because I haven't been conserving like our GC rider who her job's to conserve, right? I haven't been conserving. I've been just blowing myself to bits. But, you know, it's still hard. But now that I can look back on it, you know, and just see, wow, I was part of this historical moment and it was everything and more that I would have thought it would be. Um, From the racing to the support, uh, the crowds were phenomenal. Like every climb just lined with people. And then, you know, they have the barricades at the top and everybody's like slamming the sides. So whether you're at the front or whether you're the last person, they're just yelling for you. And it's so loud. You can just feel it in your whole body. And it's, it's amazing. So the whole experience was definitely one I'll always remember. I have goosebumps uh, you telling me that. Like, that's just awesome. I was going to ask, like, is that uh, many of the other stages, stage races you did are I don't know, four days, five days, six days, seven days, even eight days. So I can't imagine that that's different than the Tour de France, but what you're describing is a whole different environment than you'd find in Italy or in Fayetteville, Arkansas for Joe Martin or Tour de Gila. Like, Mm -hmm. it just sounds like it's a different world. Yeah, for sure. It was. And the enthusiasm was so touching because everybody was just so excited that we were racing and excited to meet us. And, you know, I'd meet, you know, it sounds sort of 
um, I don't know if cliche is the right word, but you know, to have like these young girls come up to you and you're like, oh yeah, of course, you know, that's going to happen. But it really is this super special moment where you're like, oh, this is so real that you have this young girl coming up to you and she's seeing all these women racing in front of this amazing crowd and it's so dynamic and they have full support, great coverage, all the things that we need to show that, hey, you know what, this is so exciting and if you want, in 10 years, you can do it too, you know, and that's, that's so special. I was very, very touched by those moments. Women's racing has come a long, long ways. One of the inspirations for me reaching out to you was uh, running into, uh, I don't know, a medium-length film on, I found it on Peacock. It's an NBC sports production called The Uphill Climb, The Women Who Conquered the Impossible Race. And I saw Emily Newsom on <laughs> The Women Who Conquered the Impossible Race which was super cool, but it went back to the Tour de France in the 80s, the very first Tour de France. People may not know this. Go watch that film, people. Like, go freaking download Peacock or look on, I don't know where that film is is hidden if you have to get through a paywall or if it's on YouTube or anything, but Uphill Climb. The first Tour de France, the first American Tour de France winner was not Greg LeMond, it was Marianne Martin, who in 1984 won the first women's Tour de France. And uh, that was just incredible to, to watch that film. And I mean, I hate to admit it, but I was around and I started racing in 85, 86. And so I became a fan of the sport. And, and I remember those days. I remember Marianne Martin and I remember um, Jeannie Longo and uh, Rebecca Twig and Connie Carpenter and... Um, you know, all, all the Americans who rocked out in the 84 Olympics. But what literally blew me away, and I was watching with my wife, Dee, who I want to talk about in a little bit. Um, uh, she races. She's Cat 3, who could be a Cat 2. But um, <laughs> there was one point in the film, and she's like, wait, what? Rewind that. And we rewound it, and Marianne Martin took out a freaking loan to pay oh. her own way to get to France. And she she won the Tour de France. Overall winner, yellow jersey and everything, and won like $1,250. She had enough oh, money gosh. to pay her teammates' airfare and to pay for her airfare to get home. That's how much Isn't she won. Isn't that incredible? Golly. It is incredible. It's, and that yeah. was in the same era as Greg LeMond, who was the first cyclist to break the million-dollar barrier in cycling. Oh, man, what a contrast, huh? Such a contrast. I don't know. It's, it's almost laughable how much of a contrast it is. It is. And here we are 40 years later. Dang, I'm old. Um, <laughs> and, it's okay, uh, I am too. <laughs> you are not old. Uh, Getting there. Were you born in 83? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you were one when Marianne Martin was winning the Tour de France. Right. It's um, so cool. That, that is super cool. And here's a little 10-year-old girl who's asking you for an autograph, who just watched you climb the Col de Tourmalet or whatever climbs you just did. 
and uh, is seeing the crowds cheering on these women who conquered the impossible race. And my thought as you say that is like, is there a future for her? Like, can she aspire to this? Is women's racing where it needs to be? Or are there still leaps and bounds it needs to go? Well, it is certainly a lot further than it was, as we can see just from what we've been talking about. Um, For sure, it still has growth, but I think that's good because if something's growing, it's healthy, right? So if something's stagnant, then that's when you're going to have some issues. So we, we are growing and there's definitely growing pains um, trying to, you know, keep up with the demands of being a world tour team, a lot of different things, a lot of different opinions too on how things should be done. But I, I mean, it's definitely in a much better place than it has been. Um, I'm not so much in that road world anymore, but even for me being on the same team for five years, I could see that growth just over five years. Like when we went from 2018, when I joined the team, the difference then to when I was on EF, TIBCO, SVB in 2022 was huge. You know, we went from in Europe, we didn't even have a little camper van sometimes. Sometimes it would just be a car, you know, and what if it's pouring rain at a classics? Well, you're going to get wet. Um, and we didn't have the huge buses that the other team had. You know, we were definitely very much on a budget. And then over the years we grew, but still, you know, it wasn't until 22 where, okay, now we have a big team bus and it seems extravagant, right? But really though, when you are racing at such a high level to have this place that you can come back to at the end of every race and at the beginning of every race too, of course, that's warm, sheltered, you've got everything you need there, you have your space. Um, it's, it's a game changer, really. It makes a huge difference. So, yeah, seeing you know, such a big difference even for me was very evident that women's cycling is growing and it's growing really fast. Um, I think you know, one of the main concerns is making sure we get good coverage. There's a lot of talk about like minimum salaries, um, trying to match the men's world tour minimum salary. And, you know, if your sponsor can do it, awesome. And for sure, I'm 100% women getting paid what they need to get paid. But we also like really need good coverage. Because if you watch the Tour de France fun, it's great. Like you can see the stories, you can watch the racing, you get all these awesome angles, you hear about the different riders. It was so cool. And then sometimes even now I'll, I'll get on, and watch another race and I'm like, what the world? Like this is like a shaky camera on the back, very back of the peloton. (laughs) And we're just watching the riders who are getting dropped, you know, and I mean, that's interesting for a little while, but you want to see what's happening at the front, right? You want a helicopter view and you want this angle and you want to know how far ahead the break is and who's in it. But we don't get that a lot of times. So to me, coverage is huge, and that's an area that we still need a lot of growth in. Coverage on, like, your basic TV channels like CBS, NBC, ABC, even ESPN, or is streaming, like GCN and Flow, are they filling that gap? Yeah, they're, they're doing pretty good. So I guess when I say coverage, I mean quality of coverage, too. So Because mm. a lot of the races are covered. You know, a lot of them are being shown. 
But what about the quality of it? You know, because I will watch, like I'll watch the men's. And again, when I say this, I don't want anything to be taken away from the men. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not that kind of rider that's like, oh, they need less, we need more. What they have is great. So you watch their coverage for the um, Giro, and it's fascinating because they have, you know, all the information at the top, who's where, how far apart they are. You have all these different camera views, very knowledgeable commentators, and it's, it's very engaging and very exciting for a fan to watch. And so then if you flip over to a women's race and you're getting the last hour only, and you don't know where anybody is or why anybody is where they are, and you're getting... Maybe you're just getting a shot of the person who's off the front, you know, and that's it. So it just doesn't compare and it doesn't represent what women's cycling really is and how exciting and dynamic and everything that happened to get to that point. So I guess what I'm saying is just that quality needs to be better to really showcase what we can do. I'm going to, you keep saying uh, how exciting women's racing is and, you kind of touched on the why when talking about an eight day stage race versus a 21 day stage race, but often even, um, just a single day race, women's races are often shorter than men's eight days versus 21, um, a hundred K instead of 200 K or instead of 180 K. And, uh, that, means exactly what you said. The racing is going to be super dynamic and super exciting from the gun. And I think that describes women's racing. It is super dynamic, super interesting from the gun. Yeah, I, I agree very much. Yeah. and which, which probably doesn't make you happy as a cyclist in the peloton because you know that you've got to be ready to go from the gun as opposed to the guys who roll for four hours before the real racing starts, but that's a well, that's an editorial know. comment by Dave. Yeah. I don't know though. I, I, there are some races I watch of the men's and I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I don't have to do a six hour race in Belgium. <laughs> you know? right, right, right. Or we can do three, four hours and we're done. And sure it's really hard, but we're not just rolling around for those hours where nothing's happening. So I actually, uh, Matt Zimmer is, uh, he lives in Des Moines and, uh, we end up on the same group rides quite often. He's a good friend. And I asked him as we were in a group of, oh, there were probably 40 of us riding and it was super boring. We were going 18 and a half miles an hour for quite a ways. And I was like, Zimmer, like, how do you get through stages like this? Like, do you guys like tell jokes or, um, stories or play games? He's like, no, nah, it's actually more interesting. Like, we got to go get bottles or we got to get rid of um, our extra hydration, if you will, or whatever. I mean, he said it's not always this boring, but it was kind of mm -hmm. funny that um, I, we just chatted about that. So, uh, but yeah, sometimes they do just roll for a long time. You know, there's a break up the road and just sitting mm -hmm. in there and my, whiling away the miles. And I don't feel like women's racing is like that. No, I agree. So I want to relate this. We're talking about the very pointy end of the spectrum. We're talking Tour de France. We're talking Paris-Roubaix, Liège-Bastogne-Liège. Did you have a favorite classic? I love Liège. You did? How come? Yeah. 
Uh, I just really liked the course. Um, I found the climbs a bit more gradual. Um, it wasn't quite like as punchy as some of the other ones. And I really liked just the whole country, like that whole area I found really beautiful. So that one in um, Amstel, I really liked. What did you like about Amstel? Uh, kind of, yeah, the same kind of thing where I just really liked the course um, and found it very interesting and exciting. Hmm, that's awesome. What great memories. What a great opportunity to just go ride around Europe. Yeah, they Joy, are good Joy memories. riding, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it's kind of painful, but right. it, it was fun. I enjoyed it very much. Right. So I want to, like, there should be a conveyor belt of, of um, athletes that are coming through, um, coming from triathlon or coming from running or coming from soccer or they grow up, they are 10 years old and they see you racing in the uh, Tour de France and they want to uh, race bikes. And my wife races road and, you know, I mean, some race, most races, there's like three or four people. Mm. And uh, I don't know how you progress when your competition is either, let's say, uh, your teammate, let's say um, Megan Eastler shows up, she's just going to ride away from D. I mean, D's a little older than you. And, um, and Megan is just an all-star. She's just going to ride. Like, that's not fun for D. D doesn't get anything out of that. And if, if somebody's fairly new in the sport, they come from triathlon, I'm going to give this bike racing a try. And there's three other people in the race. And one of them just rides away from them. And the other one, they just kind of take turns rolling at 14 miles an hour. That's not interesting. It's not dynamic. It's not engaging. And it's not, it doesn't say like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I want to do this more and more. <sighs> What's, I, I just throw up my hand sometimes and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. I know plenty mm. of women who ride bikes a lot, um, but we're not going to have people like you over in Europe to cheer on when you're doing the Tour de France or when you're, when you're racing the um, Amstel Gold or Perry roubaix if there's not a feeder system that is healthy. And I don't, again, I'm editorializing, but I'm editorializing based on my observations. I don't feel like it's a healthy feeder system to bring people to the top. Hmm. And this is, you're referring specifically to the road scene. I am referring to the road scene. Yeah. I am. And, and, um, and we can talk about that because you've transitioned to uh, gravel. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an interesting transition, which I wouldn't mind chatting about. But oh, maybe gravel is the entree to road. I don't know. But, but I loved watching the Tour de France. I feel like that whole system is exciting and dynamic and uh awesome progression but i as i go to road races here in in the cen center of the u.s i'm in the midwest i'm not seeing a healthy feeder system mm -hmm. there's four cat four women and then there's three or four cat one two three women and uh, that's not going to produce a tour de france winner yeah I, I hear what you're saying and i see that somewhat here too 
in Texas, just depending a little bit on the race. Um, and I think it is a bit of a, a national thing too, right? Like it seems like road racing has been struggling for a mm-hmm. while and I don't think it's really gotten much better. Um, so, you know, there's a number of ways to do it. I think, uh, ways to get women into it, you know, the local bike shops, you know, being able to put on clinics. Cause I do think that from the women I've talked to, it is a bit of a, you know, it's intimidating to, to start racing for one thing. So there may be quite a few women who want to, but they're intimidated. They don't know how to go about being ready to race and then going out there. And it's pretty scary, you know, putting yourself on the line like that, you know, your wife knows it's scary. You're really, you're very vulnerable and you're exposing yourself and that's really hard to do. So I think that's one way it can grow, you know, just more help from the community. And, and that's tough because you need people who are going to be there to do that. Um, but I also think, you know, as far as a feeder system, gravel is actually really phenomenal for that. Um, for me personally, racing a gravel race with the men is much more, is much better preparation for me if I was going to go to Europe than doing a women's road race. So because the racing with the men, yeah, no, I'm not going to keep up with them. But it's very similar to the speed is there, the aggression is there. It's just really, really hard. You have to be able to position, like if we're, we're talking like big sugar, you know, or even what they used to do for Unbound when everybody started together. That's European racing. So if that's where you want to get, gravel is an amazing feeder system for that. And it's, I mean, you're learning skills too, right? You're learning a lot of bike handling skills. And when you race in Europe, you know, it's not, the roads aren't like what they're like here. They're, they're, they're a lot harder to navigate. Um, you're going to run into very, very narrow roads. You're going to have some dirt. You're going to have some cobbles. You're going to have, what did they used to call these roads? Pl- plug roads, which are basically like dirt roads. And if it, if it rains, they're mud. So there you go. There's gravel racing. All these girls in Europe, they gravel race all the time. So to me, that's a great system. Um, and I don't know, I don't really know how to, to bring road racing back, you know, how to bolster it and, and make it grow again. But I do know that we have this other thing and it's, it's really good. And if, People are looking to get to Europe. Of course, you need points, but it's great training. So, yeah, I don't know if that's much of an answer, but that's kind of what I've seen and observed. Well, I think that's great perspective because gravel races, it is a lot less intimidating. Road racing is super intimidating for sure, Mm. Um, especially like once you get dropped, like you're just riding by yourself out on the roads. And that's not fun for anyone, but gravel, it's like everybody is kind of doing a time trial after X period of time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like a running a marathon or a, a 10 K or something like you just go run your own race and, um, you get to stop the watch when you cross a finish line and that's your time. And you can be proud of that. And you got 42nd in your age group and 73rd overall. And you're excited about that. And, and that's. I think that's a great system of bike racing for sure. Um, mass participation. 
and obviously like all that stuff is growing leaps and bounds mm -hmm. uh, here in the U.S. So I wonder if, um, I don't know if, Mar well, I mean, Marissa, Marissa Boaz, I don't know if you know Marissa. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she's another local, but uh, gosh, she just started racing a few years ago is super good. Um, I remember my wife used to beat her and uh, she's like, whew, that Marissa, she's going to be really good. And heck yeah, she definitely is. Um, and I, Marissa's jumped into the road and it was through, I guess her first stuff was criterium racing, but, um, uh, that led to gravel and she's really good on gravel and got really good on gravel and now is really good on the road. And she did some road riding, some, um, guest riding with um the Lux team development mm -hmm. team uh which was really good for her. took her to Ireland and um somewhere else overseas I don't remember but anyway I think you might be right like gravel might be the 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 American answer to cycling I don't know. I think so I mean I'm very much of the opinion that it'll prepare you better than a lot of the road racing we have available why did you make the switch to gravel? Because you're, I mean, you kind of switched. You do some road, obviously, some U.S. road stuff. And I don't know if you were going to go to Europe this summer. You ended up not, um, which we can talk about. But you did end up basically switching to, uh, to gravel. Yeah, it was for a number of reasons. Um, one, I just really love gravel racing. Uh, the road, I, I loved it, but it was a huge challenge, obviously. And what I came down to is that if I want to excel in the top end of road racing, I need to move to Europe because the whole back and forth is just too hard. And I think you just really need to establish a base and ride the roads. You know, you're not being so far away from all the races and just really like immerse yourself in the culture too. Um, but I have a family and I did actually think about the three of us moving there, but you know, we have, um, other family close by too, and it would have been pretty tough on them. So that along with the fact that I love gravel and it's here, you know, I don't have to move, um, just all lined up to make sense to move more into that area of racing. So, yeah. And I honestly... I did do some road this year. Uh, it did not feed my soul at all. <laughs> In really? fact, I was, oh no. I think, you know, I had, I had turned that switch. I had decided, yeah, no, I'm done with the road. I just want to focus on gravel. So actually being back in the Peloton was really hard for me. Um, much harder than I thought because I had just, I had moved on basically. And then all of a sudden I'm back in the Peloton and I'm like, oh shoot, my mind isn't, ready because it's such a mental game you know to be in a peloton that's really aggressive and everybody's fighting for position and it's dangerous and there's dangerous riders and there's obviously a lot of good riders too but there's just so many things to watch out for and so many things to prepare yourself for mentally if you don't it's very difficult to do well and so I found myself in the position of wow I I'm not mentally prepared for this. This is not where I want to be. And because of that, I'm not racing very well. So it 
I guess it just confirmed to me that this is not what I want to do. So I did a few, the last one being Joe Martin, um, and then got even extra confirmation that, okay, no more road, just, just the off-road. So that, that's my plan going forward. How many bones did it take for you to convince you that not road? <laughs> Holy moly. Well, what I was happened? Um, well, yeah, so it was the second stage of Joe Martin and I was racing well. I was actually pretty pleased with the fact that I had just kind of come to terms with some help from, um, a psychologist on how to get my mind into this, even though it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I, I felt like I was doing okay. I was handling it mentally. Physically, I was doing great. Um, I was really aiming to peak for Unbound, which was, I think, two weeks later. And yeah. so everything was showing that, hey, this is all working. Everything's coming together. And then on stage two, um, there's that descent into Devil's Den. And it's the, it's the windy one. And so uh, I was... We were just starting the descent, and it was just screaming fast. Like, I gosh, I don't know how fast we're going. And I was kind of on the outside, and I hit a bump. And I don't even remember – I don't remember hitting anything because it was so – it was such a shock. All I remember is that all of a sudden I'm just, like, flat on my handlebars, and I'm trying to control my bike, but there's zero chance of that happening. And I just go catapulting off into the trees. And, um, yeah, I – I guess what's so scary is I remember everything. Whereas with a lot of my other crashes, there's always this like blank spot, you know, right when you crash. And even if I didn't get knocked out, I just wouldn't remember these sections. But this, I remembered every single moment. Um, and I ended up, yeah, breaking my left wrist, broke my right clavicle in two spots. And then I had a partially collapsed lung, a broken rib, and I did something really weird to my uh, right glute and lower back, which actually ended up being the hardest thing because I'm still dealing with it now. Um, so, yeah, it was, I was, I just checked all the boxes. <laughs> yeah. You sure did. I followed and you did a post or two while you were uh, healing on Instagram and then Instagram can be funny. It's, it can be a kind of a weird timeline. And I saw a picture of you riding your bike and I was like, Oh, is this an old picture that just popped up on my gram or just popped up on my timeline? And I sent you a note. I'm like, are, are you riding your bike again? And you're like, yep. Yep. I'm like, sweet. Like, I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. Like that was great news. Uh, because dang, you were, I mean, yeah, that was a rough accident for sure. So I was thrilled to see you back. How did you mentally like come back? Obviously, uh, physically, stuff has to heal and you've got to get back into shape. And I'm sure that's just you know, hard work and shoulder to the wheel, nose to the grindstone. But um, mentally, how did you come back and fuel that competitive fire again? Um, Gosh. I guess I'm I'm still at the point where it's somewhat unresolved, so it's a hard subject because I mean ultimately I always thought if that happened to me, something like that, where I broke bones and I was flat on my back and I couldn't do anything, that would be the end. I'm done. I'm not gonna do this anymore. 
But, you know, that thought never even crossed my mind, which I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I was actually going to keep doing this. But I was just somehow found this drive that I didn't even know I had to keep going. And I, I guess I just was so fueled because I didn't want to go out that way. You know, I didn't want to leave the sport like that. Um, and I felt I had a lot of unfinished business, I guess, for lack of a better word, or I just, I just didn't feel like I had closure. You know, I love, I realized how much I love to race my bike and I love the lifestyle, the community. Um, I love the places it's taken me and what it's given me, even though honestly, a lot of times I feel like it takes a lot more than it gives, <laughs> but I, I, so I found this strength. You know, and I just kept, I just kept working. I just kept putting one foot in the front of the other. I had a really good support system. Um, you know, at first the pain was so severe and I was so immobile. It would take me you know, 20 minutes to get off my bed and then 10 minutes to walk to the toilet. And then I would stand there and I would just be like, well, like now what? I can't even like, I can't move. You know, I can't, what am I supposed to do? So it just progressed from there to just slowly being able to move a little bit more each day. Um, you know, at first my husband had even had to like wipe my face because I couldn't, I couldn't lift my arms. And if I could lift this one, I couldn't move it. And if I couldn't lift this one because it was broken. So I was totally helpless. But yeah, day by day, just kind of started to heal. And um, we rigged up a system with... Uh, the bike on a trainer and we set something to where I can rest my arms and ride and just started riding and day by day I did it and I healed really fast so I have to be you know I have to give it a lot of credit to my surgeon for sure and just the fact that I was in good shape so I healed very very fast and before I know it I could be outside I think I rode outside within uh maybe a week from surgery, I was outside and my surgeon was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was going to say, I, I sent, did your doctor know? <laughs> yeah, I sent him a picture. I had a brag. And he was like, uh, I can't believe you're riding a bike. Tell, tell me this is an old picture that you just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not on your bike. Yeah. Wow, that's so, amazing. That is an amazing recovery. You freaking did Leadville. I did. And like I said, I still feel like I don't have closure yet with it, really. I don't have, I guess I haven't, you know, I've been striving so hard since this happened to be back on my game. And I've had race after race where something has happened. And honestly, that's been harder. The accident was hard, but at least it's really straightforward what you have to do. But then, you know, gosh, when, when did it start? I guess Steamboat, I had the mechanical Leadville, I, I, I think I'm just really not good on the mountain bike. <laughs> so that's the conclusion I'm coming to. Fair enough. I, and it's not like the technique. It's, it's, I just, for the life of me, cannot put out power on the mountain bike. I feel like it just sucks everything from me. But anyways, I've had race after race where something has happened. Sometimes it's my fault. You know, sometimes it's just like some weird mechanical. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, I've got... October left, and I'm really hoping and praying that everything will go smoothly 
or if there is adversity that I can overcome it and show what I can actually do. Cause I, I haven't really been able to show that I am very strong and I'm back to where I was, you know, I just need the chance to actually perform. Looking at your posts from your accident, I couldn't believe you were back racing before the end of the summer. And I can't believe that you're like, I got to get back and like show how strong I am. Like that was such a, like kudos to you for getting back to where you are. Like own that for sure. <laughs> own that because oh, it's you. anybody could be like, Oh, there's my year. Like that's my sin. Maybe I'll be up for, um, maybe I'll be up for rattlesnake gravel grind next March. Right. <laughs> um, but you were back at Leadville. You were back at, I mean, you, I didn't see you, but I saw your name on the um, results list at Schwamigan. I was were there. You, I was you there. were there. I saw, well, I, I kind <laughs> of wondered because it, it, but... it gave you a, a one-time stamp after X number of K. And I was like, was she, did she come up and do this or did she not? What happened at Schwamigan? Oh, Again, it's a mountain bike race. <laughs> uh, Schwamigan, uh, you know, that's when I started to decide that I, I, for some reason, I really, really struggle on the mountain bike because I go harder in those races than I ever go. I mean, I push myself always to as much hard as I can, but I feel like when I'm on the mountain bike, I am just every ounce of my body is going for it and I am trying so hard and I am still getting dropped. And I'm just like, what, why? Like, I, like, is there something wrong with me? Like maybe, you know, maybe all of a sudden my body's just shut down and, and it's over. But then I come home and I knock out one of the best workouts I've done in a while on the gravel bike or on my road bike. So what happened at Schwamigan was, first of all, I just lost the back of the front group, right? And I was like, okay, it's okay, you know, doing this positive talk. It's okay. Yes, this sucks, but it's okay. It's the mountain bike. It's fine. Just keep going. Like, head down. Just go, go, go. And I missed a turn because oh. I wasn't paying any attention. And I ended up in no man's land. And then I was like, well, maybe, maybe I didn't miss it. Maybe they're just ahead because it's so undulating, you know? So I was mm -hmm. like, maybe they're just over that hill. But then I come to like this tree that's over the, over the trail. I was like, ah, I can't believe I did this. And so I turned around and I rode back to where I missed the left-hand turn. And by that point, the men were almost catching me. Oh. So they started 30 minutes behind. So I cried for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I just rode back to the car. Because I was oh. like, I just, I don't have it in me to do again like to to finish just riding it after everybody i've done that i feel like i've done that several times this year because of some bad luck and i couldn't so i just went back uh, and that's the way that a, went yeah that's fun huh <laughs> i i oh, love yes. again. and you guys have such a different experience now you know we used to all start together and i think last year the year before they started the pros at 1 p.m. and and uh, I don't know, it's a much smaller field. So I can see you're going to be out there alone as opposed to <laughs> we downloaded the route on our, um, are you Wahoo or Garmin? Wahoo. 
So we downloaded the uh, route on our uh, Wahoo, and um, uh, oh, I think we left the cabin, and like I'm just pulling out of the driveway. I'm like, oh, I forgot our computer. <laughs> Forget it. We don't need it. We don't need it because there's 2,000 people showing yeah. us the way. There's no way to get lost at Schwamigan unless you start with 35 people and it spreads out and there's nobody in front of you and nobody behind you and you just have to follow the course and you miss one little orange sign and you go five miles off course down that Berkey yeah. trail. So and yeah, it, such yeah. a different experience. And I did, I did have my map up, but I just, you did. I, had, I had muted it. So I just didn't even notice that I was off. You can mute the little beep beeps, you know, when oh, you're sure, off course. Sure, yep. Yep. So, I mean, I noticed eventually that I was like, yeah, I, I that's not right. Make but... a legal U-turn. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, dang, it. Well, I but... don't know. You were saying at the beginning how much you love gravel and maybe gravel's your thing. Maybe it's like, hey, I'm just going to embrace what I love and do what I love. There's so much great gravel racing. Do you, yeah. have, do you feel like you have to do the Lifetime Grand Prix to be successful in this country as a cyclist? No. No, you don't. It's a wonderful opportunity for sure, but there's so many cool races to go to and to do that. No, you don't need to do the life grand lifetime to be successful. Are you happy you're in it? Yeah, I really enjoy it, and I think I will do it again next year. Um, I think I'll just bank on dropping two mountain bike races and just trying really hard in the third one. You know, because you're allowed to drop too, right? So yep. I'm just I'm just banking on that, and um, it's hard for me to leave something when I feel like I haven't been able to put everything I've got into it. And this year, obviously, with my accident, I definitely could not give it my all, and I want to. So I, I think you know, as long as everything lines up right, I'll do it again next year. Hmm. Awesome. Does Unbound, obviously you missed it this year. I hope you weren't doing 200 miles two weeks after your Joe Martin. I wanted to, but my doctor and my uh, husband were like, yeah, no. Uh -uh. I'm glad that they were there to hold <laughs> you back. You should not do that. I was you like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I, can, I can ride. <laughs> two weeks. Come on. Um, <laughs> how do you feel Unbound would be? Is it Unbound your kind of thing? Yeah, I'm good at it. 200 miles? Mm-hmm. I got third two years in a row. Um, last year when I got third, that was with two flats, and I rode for 90 minutes on an insert. You know how you get those air inserts? So basically it's like, gosh, eight, eight PSI. So I rode for 90 minutes like that, which just sucks the lots from you. Um, and I still ended up coming in third, and I, was, I felt amazing. It was so fun, and I, I enjoyed it all. And enjoy, you know, like it's it's definitely right. a a long time to suffer, but if you're in shape for it and you're feeling good, it's fun. It's a long ways. Yeah, I, we haven't done. We've not. We've not tackled that distance yet. In fact, we did gravel worlds, and it rained in the morning. We had a B road that was just pure mud, and we were on tandem, and the oh, tandem gosh. was a thousand pounds. And uh, we decided it was like type four or five fun, which I yeah. don't even know if that's fun. <laughs> it was not even type two fun. Yeah. So 200 miles. I love that you have a great attitude about it. 
So yeah, I mean, so I was gonna say, granted, I'm glad it happens only once a year. I feel like 200 miles, I can I can handle that once a year, and then I'm good. Uh, what about the lead boat? That's craziness, and that's yeah, no, super long. No, no, <laughs> no. I would never do that. They now they've separated it by a week, um, but no. I mean, if there was like some killer prize money, okay, maybe I'd give it a shot, but. After doing Leadville and then thinking, now you got to go do Steamboat? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it doesn't... Especially it, when it was the day after. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I no, I... people did that. You didn't do that, did you? Last year when it was a day after? No, 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 no. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> um, well, let's... Uh, we've solved women's cycling. Gravel. Yes. We've solved we'll your let life. Everybody know gravel. <laughs> uh, let's talk gravel. I want to talk about rattlesnake gravel grind. That was our um, great introduction, and um, I'd love to give them a plug. Um, they've invited D and I back this year, and I just had a great weekend. Uh, we camped. Our son and his uh, wife came up from Austin, and they had food like. I think they said we'll have food one night and they had three nights of food breakfast. Like I just loved it. And music. Holy moly. What was your experience that weekend for rattlesnake gravel grind? Why did you do it? Well, everything you're saying is just bringing back all the memories from it. Um, I, I initially did it because I met, um, the director through Sweetwater, the Sweetwater fun, uh, race he does. Um, beat the streets, I think, in Sweetwater. And so I met him through that. And then he invited me to the gravel grind. And um, I invited some of my teammates and one of them came. Um, so that's how I heard about it. And my experience there was just incredible. I loved it. One, I mean, I have a family. So I love the fact that it was family friendly. You know, the kids, like the setting of where it was, the kids could run around in that park and explore. There was that like dry creek bed they were running up and down. Marika, my daughter, had so much fun. And I always know she has a lot of fun if she's got all these little scrapes and bruises and she's dirty and all her clothes are like ruined. I'm like, okay, you had a great weekend. Um, And like you said, the food was incredible. Like that one morning where we had a shakeout ride and they were cooking cornbread in the cast iron. And then they had this amazing meats and beans. And then they had bread pudding with some sort of like whiskey sauce that you put on top. It was so good. Um, and then really, I think, you know, all of, all of, all of that was amazing, but the people themselves to me were really what stood out because they were so hospitable, you know, the people making all that food and all the volunteers. Um, and of course the director and, it was it was really touching to be part of that and to see how much they put into it. Um, and of course, the course was very cool too. My husband raced it, and he he loved it. There was a few he hasn't done much gravel at all. So when they put him on that Jeep road, you know that we go on. And I do know that was, Jeep road. Yes. Yeah. We, got, we, like, we we took a wrong turn there. Oh no. Yeah, he was he was like, wait, where where are we going? And then once he just kind of accepted the fact that, you know, okay, this is gravel, which means you never know what you're gonna be on. Yeah, he had a blast too. So yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. And I really hope 
to see a lot of people come for it when uh, it comes again this March. Uh, as do I. Registration opens October 1st and the weekend. And again, it's a whole weekend. There was a shakeout mm-hmm. ride Friday, which was, we had, we actually met some guys that we are still in touch with. Oh, very cool. Yeah, a dude from Fort Worth and a dude from Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, one of them's going to come and do RAGBRAI with us next year. So uh, nice. did you hear that, Brian? You're committed now. <laughs> um, so that was a shakeout ride on Friday. Saturday was the race, and there was a shakeout ride on Sunday that, um, uh, to be honest, we were more interested in a delicious, I don't know, Mexican breakfast or Tex-Mex what kind of food is in Sweetwater? What do you classify that as? You mean like not what what they were serving us at the race, just like yeah, in the city? we went into town yeah, to cause... a Mexican restaurant, and oh my gosh, it was great. Yeah, like, so we... good. You'll have to tell me the name of it. We went somewhere and got some tacos, which are really awesome too. I will. I will look that up and send it to you. Um, and then the music at Friday and Saturday night was mm-hmm. phenomenal. I don't know. Yeah. I just couldn't believe the hospitality. And I, I was just blown away. There's some races you go to, and you'll probably relate to this, that it's just the race. Uh-huh. You show up, and you get your number, and you warm up, and you pin your number on, and you go to the starting line, and you do the race. And when it's done, it'd be fun if you hung around for the podium. Uh, but that doesn't always happen. And so you throw mm-hmm. your bike on your car, and you towel off and maybe change and drive home this was not that this was a great weekend camping and music and food and fun and great people with a bike ride in the middle yeah totally agree and they had live rattlesnakes (sighs) that was so cool like my daughter will never stop talking about that I, i mean we got educated on them it was amazing to learn about them and then have the guys show, I mean, we got to pet it, pet it, like, very gingerly, but we did. The only reason I did it was because my daughter wanted me to, but it's just amazing. That was so cool. Did you drape one over your shoulders? I did, again, only because my daughter wouldn't do it unless I did it, so I was like, fine. I cannot <laughs> believe you did that. I thought I was brave to touch one. <laughs> but I was not about to drape it over my shoulders. That was awesome. Uh, I was going to ask you about your daughter earlier and if a successful weekend with the family is when you're ready to go before she is. Come on, yeah. come on, the car's loaded. Come on, come up out of the creek. Let's go. Right, totally. Uh, did you Do you worry about rattlesnakes, her stumbling into that? Because it's like... no. I did. I was so paranoid, and I'm an Iowa boy. Oh, really? (laughs) Well, it's called the rattlesnake gravel grind, and there's a, you know, three or four aquariums with rattlesnakes in them, and so I'm super paranoid. I literally, if there's there's a little hole in the ground by our tent, (laughs) I, like, stuffed it with rocks. I don't have any idea what was in there. Whatever's in there is not coming out. (laughs) It is not coming out. But you don't worry about that? No, especially because it's March, you know, and so it's cold. And so they're not, I mean, it's not super cold. It's beautiful for Texas, but it's not, they they come out when it's really hot. And so when it's cold like this, they definitely leave people alone. 
and stay away. And I didn't see a single one other than the caged ones. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, no, I wasn't worried about it. Oh, yeah. Well, I need to get over that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Sweetwater, Texas. March 22nd to 24, 2004. People should sign up now, shouldn't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Just make a plan, you know, plan out your weekend and make sure you, you get there. You won't regret it. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, hope to see you there. I hope we can uh, make it down. Our spring is a little in question because of uh, a final semester of college for our youngest, Mm. but, um, uh, and he's in Austin right now. So just South of you, 95. How's the weather there now? It's been so hot. You had such a hot summer. Yes, I was in Colorado for most of that, but oh. uh, yeah, it, it's been hot, but it's not, it's cooling down. So 90s yeah, are better than... in Austin right now, yeah. so super cool. But it's better than hundreds. It is better than hundreds. Yeah, it's, it's a big I, difference. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, all right, Emily Newsome, what a treat. I'm glad we could connect and um, solve all the issues. Oh my gosh. You know what I'm asking? <laughs> I think I might know. I read somewhere that described you as a piano virtuoso. I don't and know. You have your master's that. in music? I do, yes. Can you tinkle the ivories? Tinkle tickle. Tinkle it tinkle is what the guys do when they're bored on a <laughs> six hour stage of a flat race. Um tickle the ivories, is that what you do? Um, yeah, it's, it's been a bit, so I will warn you, like I haven't touched the piano for months. But... I have a hard time believing that. I, is it no, not an outlet? No, it's true. Really? Um, it is for sure, but you also have to make time, you know, and I feel like I've been so swamped with racing and there's been a lot of stress, which the piano would help with that, right? I need to turn to it more. Just, I just, I haven't. And I always, I know I should because I know it is a release for me. Um, but sometimes I feel like I don't have the mental and emotional capacity to introduce another thing into my life. <laughs> so, but um, I can still play. Just judge lightly. I will judge lightly and I'm sure it's better than 99. Nope. How many, raise your hand, listeners. If you have a master's degree in music, like it's, you've got to be better than most everybody listening. And um, I'm glad that I'm forcing you to play. All right. Well, let's see. Um, do I just use this and then I can just take my headphones out and that's fine? Ah, so sure. Well, well, this is an experiment. Okay. I'll, I'll play something and then you can just tell me if it sounds like you can actually hear oh, it. Oh, dig it. Yep. Yep. We okay. can do that. Can you hear this? Yep. Okay. Let's see if I can do this then. I think that works.
that okay? <laughs> you are a piano virtuoso. Could you actually Don't hear? tell me. You're... Yeah, that was awesome. I, I will not believe you that you have not uh, been practicing because that sounded awesome. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Emily, what a treat. We'll see you in March. And um, I don't know, rock on at Big Sugar. Thank Big you. Sugar. Rad, are you doing the rad? The rad and then Worlds Gravel Championship. Oh, my gosh. We haven't even talked about Worlds. Yeah. Can I just ask you one question about that? Yeah. Like, is that... You you raced all over Europe. You did the classics. Is this? I don't want to say just. Is this a classic? Pretty much. With some gravel sectors. Yeah, that's exactly what it's going to be like. Yep. So, as the U.S. team, how do you play that? Um. So we'll definitely have to use tactics if we want to do well because the other big teams, like the Italians and the Dutch, they'll do that. And so if we're racing every woman for themselves, uh, there's a chance we get a result, but you know, it's going to work much better for us if we work as a team. So we, um, that's, that's the plan for whoever us want to, uh, work as a team, we will do that. And yeah, just once we know the course and we'll come up with a plan with USA cycling and give it our best shot. You still there? Yes. There you are. Hi. Um, have you guys chatted? Uh, we haven't yet. So when we get there for sure, uh, I think it's on the seventh. So once we all get there, we'll have some meetings together. Um, I'm friends with Lauren, so she and I have chatted a little bit. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll discuss it all more once we get together. Do you think your experience on the road, especially in Europe is going to be a um, positive. Do you feel like that's one of your strengths that you're bringing to the, the race? Yeah, I do for sure. And I already, I mean, I see it when we race with the men, I see that that is a strength of mine. Um, whereas some of the riders who either come from mountain bike or who come from just gravel, that's more hard, that's more difficult for them. Um, but yeah, going back to that mental mindset, I'm already working on that because I know you're going to be back into a Peloton, right? Basically, like you said, it's, it's going to be like a classic. So I've been working on that so that I can show up, you know, ready to be in that kind of environment again. There is so much pavement in this thing. Um, a, I'm going to tell you for your mindset benefit, it's a gravel race and yeah. you love gravel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there, there is a bunch of pavement. What do you do for a bike? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny, the bike I'm on, I think will actually be really good for that because it's quasi road gravel, you know? So, um, to me, it's definitely, you know, there's gravel bikes that lean a bit towards the mountain bike side, as far as just having some little suspension in it or having a much more relaxed geometry. This one is more like a road bike. So I'm on the time ADHX. And it's definitely aggressive, very like light and snappy. Um, so that's what I'll use. And I think it's going to be a really good choice for it. So tire wise, do you go with like 45 gravel, 45 millimeter gravel tires or like 28 millimeter? I'm going to use a, a trade term here or a, a brand name continental gator skins that yeah. are bald and will handle some 
rocks along the way? Uh huh. Um, I need to study the course more, but I'm I'm gonna go ahead and venture to say definitely not a 45. You know, I'm thinking like somewhere in the 30s is probably gonna be optimal. So not too skinny because we do go over some some stuff. Again, I need to look at it all, but not too skinny because um, you do want some control, right? And you do want the ability to corner on that loose stuff, um, and you don't want to flat. So. I'm going to guess like a 35 to maybe like a 35 might be perfect. Maybe a 38. We'll see. You wrote it last year. It looked to me like it was like a limestone path often. Uh-huh. Is it like that or is it like, is there some gravel that we would recognize as gravel? Well, last year, yeah, like it was nothing like U.S. gravel at all. So you're going... nowhere. Not really. I mean, it's all, it's, some people compared it to a really long cyclocross race without the features. Kind of like that. You know, you're on road and then you're on like this little pathway that's kind of like a mountain bike trail slash walking path. And then you go through a field and then you're on top of the, the dam roads, you know, like that you were talking about the limestone. And then you're on a road again and then you take a left into a field and then you go through a forest on like a again another single single track so it was just a big mishmash of different things um constantly changing which made it very challenging and exciting for sure but it's completely different than u.s gravel yeah for sure yeah do you think we should host a world championship over here someday? oh yeah yeah i think so for sure it would be, just be interesting because it would be i mean it's what we traditionally think of gravel is here Right. And then European gravel is European gravel. It's its own thing. And it's the, the two are very different from each other. If you got to say where we hosted, where, where, where would we host? Where would be the best place? Most, I don't know if the word iconic, but where would be the best place for the U.S. to host a world championships? Gosh. I mean, I'm so partial to Texas, but um Sweetwater? Yeah, yeah, let's do Sweetwater. <laughs> I'm in. I'll call David and say, "Hey, you're hosting the World Championships." Next yeah. Year. I mean, it. it it embodies a lot of what gravel's about, about, right? Community and there's so much agriculture in the farmland and the cows that are out there and the wind farm and yeah. We could show them a good time. All right, we're in. Let's uh, let's start lobbying the UCI. <laughs> okay. If we can do that. All right. Well, good luck. We uh, we'll be watching with uh, interest and wishing you all the best. Go stars and stripes, and uh, I hope you have a great day. It's Thank gravel. you. You love it. Yes, all right. Emily J. Newsom, and of course the J stands for joy. What a delight. Thank you so much for joining me on Bike Talk with Dave. It really was a pleasure chatting with you and getting your perspective. If you want to follow Emily, look for her on Instagram, Emily J. Newsome. And be sure and check out how she does at the UCI Gravel World Championships, as well as Big Sugar and the finale of the Lifetime Grand Prix. Good luck in all of that, Emily. We'll be watching for you and cheering you on. I'd also like to thank you for listening to this episode of Bike Talk with Dave. 
If you dig it, I would appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Be sure and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and even YouTube. These are all available now on YouTube, which is kind of fun if you take your podcasts that way. If you want to support the show financially, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com. Just look for Bike Talk with Dave and drop a few pennies in the bucket. I truly appreciate it. And if you do, I will send you a sticker. And remember that all of these episodes are available online. You can stream it from your computer or your phone, whatever device you want, at biketalk.bike. I know we've talked about rattlesnake gravel grind, which I'm stoked to do, and I am also stoked to do the core four, where they leave no surface untouched. Trust me on that. Check it out. Who's ready for some core four news? After a huge spike in riders and a super thank you to everyone for coming out this year, these guys jumped right back into the fire. It's no surface untouched again for 2024 because Core 424 has a sweet sound to it, no doubt. New routes, new distances, and a new you. That's right, y'all, they are mixing it up with more surprises and delights. New for 24 is the Core 40 distance. Just a bump up from the 20 mile and still has all the farmscapes and B roads and champagne gravel you'd expect from the folks at Core 4, just without the single track. They're telling us 60 is the new 50, miles that is. It's a no surfaced, untouched podium eligible route with all the cats in addition to their marquee 100 mile event. It's the perfect blend of competition and community. We want Core 4 to be on your event calendar for 2024. Jump on Bike Reg today, snag your spot before this event reaches its cap. Come ride the wave and get more bodies on bikes. It's blazing hot action every year and they'll keep the fire stoked all winter long with the 20, 40, 60 or 100 mile route Core 424 has something for everyone. It's time for the next time. Let's go. And be sure and tune in next week where we'll be talking with Peter Stetna about the evolution of gravel racing from one of the pioneers of the privateer program. See you next week. Remember that nothing compares to the simple pleasure of riding a bicycle.